Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Sermon, a weekly podcast where we unpack the sermon from Yarmouth Wesleyan Church and talk about things with a different level of depth and detail that a sermon just doesn't allow you to do. Each episode will be about 30 minutes long, and we'd love to hear from you. If you find this helpful, if you've got questions, if there's things you want us to talk about, let us know. You can find us online at yarmouthwc.com, or you can email us at mark at yarmouthwc.com. Thank you for listening, and it would be a big help if you would share, if you would like and subscribe. It all helps. Thanks again for being here today. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. As Mark just eloquently said, welcome back to Beyond the Sermon. I almost said Beyond the Podcast. Maybe it should be called Beyond the Podcast. This is Tom. I am serving as your host for this week's episode, and I have two very special guests sitting in the room with me, both first-timers on the podcast. Uh, Immediately to my left, not that you care because you can't see or uh, know where this is happening, but to my left is uh, Reverend Dave Hockley. Hello, Dave. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing very well. And Dave was the preacher last weekend uh, as we continued our sermon series, Beautiful Resistance, tackling the subject, Hospitality Must Resist Fear. And Dave, I thought you did a really great job, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome to your first time on the podcast. Don't mess it up. Promise. I will do my absolute best. <laughs> okay. Well, you promised and then just said you'd do your best. Yeah, so uh, I should if probably uh, reverse that. Any, any complaints can go to Dave at YarmouthWC.com this week. And then across the table from me, uh, I am delighted to be welcoming uh, Danielle McDonald to the podcast. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I cut you off That's already all right. out of the gate. <laughs> no worries. I'm really glad to be here. Well, we are really glad to have you. And I got to say, again, to you listening to us, you don't know this, but uh, it would appear that Danielle is the most prepared person we've ever had the honor of chatting with on the podcast. There is a pile of books on her end of the table. Dave and I are sitting here just twiddling our thumbs, but Danielle showed up ready to rock and roll today. So uh, you've clearly done your homework, Danielle. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Before we even dive in, what are the books in front of you? You've got some notes, I see. Yep. One's just a notebook with a lot of chicken scratch. Okay. One is my Bible. Okay. One is the Beautiful Resistance book by Tyson. Okay. And then the last one is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Very. I, that title is really compelling to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. It's a very challenging book um, in terms of the level of conviction that... Uh, Rosaria calls us to. Interesting. Interesting. It has your recommendation? It definitely does. But um, yeah, be ready to be challenged. Yeah, those are the best kind, I think, the best kinds of books. Rosaria Butterfield. Yeah. With a name like Butterfield, that's hard to forget. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. That's cool. Well, maybe you'll reference that uh, a little bit later. Um, so let's call a spade a spade. I, when I first heard that the sermon was going to be on hospitality, I had certain assumptions and I figure I'm probably not alone. Is that fair? Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. What what do most people assume when you're going to hear a sermon on hospitality? I know where my mind went. Did either of your minds go in a particular direction? Yeah. Very quickly. It's... You were the preacher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, but even then, like it, it did 
divert to a different path as the preparation went along. But I think pretty immediately it's, oh, have someone into your house and have some food, boiling it down to its, its simplest form in my mind. That's where it went. Mm-hmm. Have somebody to your kitchen table, yeah. host a dinner party, yeah. have, a, have a melting pot kind of party, invite one person from every one of your different spheres of influence and put them all in a room together and see where that goes. Yeah. A little different than like just having your best friends over who maybe you play games with or something like that. Like specifically a meal type setting is where, is where it went for me. Yeah. Hospitality and food are interconnected in my mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Finger foods in particular. I don't, I don't even, I don't even think like meal meal. I think of like, I don't know, things that go on a toothpick when I think of, when I think of hospitality. So those little pickles and cheese. Yeah. And... Pigs in a blanket, all that kind of thing. Something that you can dip. Oh, none of that is real COVID friendly, I guess these days. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. That was another one of the things that came to my mind immediately with this sermon was, Awesome. Talking about having people into our homes to have food in the middle of a pandemic. This should go swimmingly. Right. Yeah. What a challenge. Um, I've been thinking a lot about hospitality for my whole adult life. Hmm. And uh, Blair and I listened, Blair's my husband, we listened to a Timothy Keller sermon last January, January 2020. Whoa. And... We were really challenged by it. And so 2020 was going to be a year where we were going to practice a new kind of hospitality, which we got to do once (laughs) and then COVID. So yeah, that is really challenging. Which had to be disappointing because you get worked up for it, right? And you you take a plunge to actually practice it and then the carpet is hauled out from underneath you. Ah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you feel like, okay, Lord, you're doing something new in us. Like this is a new, something new that you're birthing in our family that we're excited about. And we're going to grab the bull by the horns and lean into it. And then like everything shuts down, which I suppose at least sparks an element of creativity. Like the the church on the whole had to, like we were, we were really attached to things that we were doing, you know, and dare I say that, that us and some other churches, most churches probably were just doing things, certain things were done just because they had been done for a long time and people had stopped questioning whether they were still valid or that kind of thing. And then uh, as soon as, well, a lockdown happens, you have to start getting creative with how you're going to live out the gospel, how you're going to disciple people, how you're going to mentor and teach and all that kind of thing. So uh, interesting. in, In fact, now that you say that, I feel like I remember hearing that you guys had listened to that podcast a year ago and you were really excited to embark on that. And then one time. One time. How'd it go that one time? Great. Great. We had some neighbors in that we had never really associated with. I mean, other than waved hello to. Mm -hmm. And it was a delightful experience. And we, um, let me talk, wait a sec. I wanted to share with you what uh, Timothy Keller's definition of gospel hospitality is, um, because that gives us a great starting point. Um, He says, it's welcoming people into your living space, treating strangers as family so that God can turn some of them into friends. Oh, interesting. And he does an excellent job in that podcast of really breaking that down into what is our living space, who are the strangers, how God turns them into friends, all of that. Hmm. 
So I don't know if you do show notes and you can put a link into oh, it. great idea. We've never done show notes. We will this episode. <laughs> uh, Timestamp, eight minutes. We're going we're gonna to have some show notes for the first time. Thank you, Danielle. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's worth listening to. But yeah, so treating strangers as family. Um, that was the part that really got us. Like, who are the strangers? And he talks about there are strangers are just people that you don't know. They could be in your church. They could be other believers. Mm -hmm. Strangers are also your neighbors, Mm -hmm. people that you work with that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then he also talks about strangers being people who are in need. Um, Because that is how we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So, yeah, so we just picked some people we didn't know really well. Mm -hmm. And it was a delightful experience. We also (laughs) invited another family who didn't know them well either. So it was kind of like... We all had a chance to get to know one another together, yeah. um, which I find helpful to have maybe a buffer person. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good way to define it. At least at that point, everybody feels in the same boat, right? Nobody feels like alienated, like we're clearly the odd man out here. Like everybody feels whatever that feeling is, like, the, like, like we have work to do in this situation. Right. Not in the sense that people are like a project, but you know what I mean. Like we're we're all in the same we're all in the same boat, right? And I like that he qualifies that that some of them might become friends, right? And I and Dave, you mentioned this in your sermon on Sunday as well that you know you made the caveat that every time we show somebody hospitality it does not mean that they're going to like repent and come to Jesus, but the call on the life of the the believer is still to show hospitality. Just because that's who we are, that's yes. that's who our God is, and that's who what we're called to do. There's, we're not responsible for the outcome; we're just responsible for the faithfulness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and that to me is probably the most convicting thing about hospitality, because I think sometimes I put too much pressure on myself as far as the outcome that I simply cannot control, and for that reason, I am less likely to actually extend hospitality and therefore not be faithful in that call. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times that I have withheld an invitation or the amount of times that I have not gone up to someone who, let's let's call them a stranger, whether I actually know their face or don't, because I'm not sure where I could actually take it, I I grieve the amount of opportunities that I think I've lost, yeah. Hmm. So that, and that's, that's something like, Amy and I have been having a similar discussion currently to what you and Blair had last year, Danielle. And it's very much one of, let's just put ourselves out there and see what happens. Because there's so much you can't control, but there's so much that we shouldn't have to control. Hmm. And I think if we could always control how it, w- how it went, I don't think it would be true hospitality. Interesting. Right. If there was a guaranteed outcome, yeah, that's just kind of going through the motions? Yes, Is that I, the... I think so. Oh, interesting. And it changes the cost, right? You talked about how it's costly. And if you know what's going to happen on the other end, the cost is not as much of an issue. Yes. Uh, Right. I like that Keller specifies that some of them may become friends, but also that that speaking of endgame, speaking of results, that the result is that they become friends. Not even necessarily back to circle back around what we were just talking about. Not that they are converted necessarily, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just that they become friends. Just that we show love and acceptance and 
that they are suddenly friends. That is really compelling to me. Yeah, I agree. I also like that you're treating them as family so they become friends because we pick our friends. Right, interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, not in this context. In this context, God is creating the friendship. But we treat them as family, people that are in our living space, people that we put up with more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> We're more willing to deal with their flack um, so that we get maybe an even more, I don't know what the right word is, yeah, a, a greater blessing sure. than yep. yeah, we yeah, anticipated. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, the, the living space bit is interesting too. I am an introvert. I probably come off extroverted uh, in front of people, all that kind of thing. But uh, I definitely power up at home, away from people, in solitude. Uh, Dave is thumbs-upping as well. I think he resonates with that idea. Um, And so the notion that we invite them into our living space, question, is hospitality an extrovert-only kind of activity? Yes, no. If not, how does the introvert practice hospitality and is it any different than how it, like, is there different kinds of hospitality practiced depending on your personality type? I think introvert or extrovert, we all need community. Mm-hmm. We're all designed for it. And community can look like a leap for an introvert in hospitality might be an invitation to a single person, to, to one individual to have a conversation. Whereas for an extrovert, like not just a crowd of 20 people, but a crowd of 20 people that they don't know. I, yeah, I, I believe it's, it's possible and necessary for everyone. But I, I kind of, on, on top of that a little bit, want to play off what you said, Daniel, and I can't quite word it specifically. But as far as having mm-hmm. people in our home and, and the cost of it, there's no cost also if it's, if it's people who are already like us. Mm-hmm. So hospitality can turn someone who you're treating like family into a friend. And when that happens, we're going to be better for it because how we live our lives and how we view the world is going to be expanded in the best kind of way. And then, yeah, I think that's necessary for anyone, introvert, extrovert, mm-hmm. all the same. It's, yeah, it's vital. Just how it plays itself out yes. might look slightly different. Yes. It's yeah. not, we don't get to hide behind the excuse of personality type or introvert, extrovert, that kind of thing. It's, it's a call to every believer. Yeah. There are some people who, who straight up, like maybe they can't have someone in their home. Maybe it's not feasible. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. but hospitality is, is opening your living space, whatever that might look like that. Like that's not just your home. That's the places where you exist. I don't want to, I don't want to destroy what Keller's saying, but the places where you exist most naturally and with your most contentment and extending that to someone else. Like that's, that's the greatest ability I think to show someone that they matter. That is exactly what Keller talks about in the yes. podcast. Well done, Dave. Um, because he, he's a pastor in New York City, or was at the time that this sermon was preached. And so people's living spaces are really tiny. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't have people into that living space or now in COVID times. Um, but he talks about taking them to your favorite coffee shop. The places where you feel at home, where you feel refreshed, recharged, where you feel fueled, relaxed, those kind of places. The so, golf course. Yes, the, the playgrounds. Golf like anywhere where maybe you would autom- automatically go for to be recharged, the cost of welcoming someone else into that. Right. Well, and I think you captured that 
sentiment in different words. I, I really like how you said it on Sunday that hospitality starts in the heart, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, well, and <laughs> to use a cliche thing that I feel like my mom probably had hanging on the wall, home is where the heart is, <laughs> right? <laughs> Welcoming people in into your home, into your heart. Hospitality doesn't start in necessarily your like physical living space. It starts at a heart level and in, in a posture of welcoming, a posture of, of opening to uh, the other. I'm not sure if I, if I read that in Tyson's book or if you said that from the stage, but this idea yeah. of the other, uh, that's also a really compelling idea to me because in, well, I think you made the claim in your sermon that at least at this day and age, in this part of the world, we often struggle with the other. The, the people who are different from us. And you listed a few things where we may disagree with people. And it seems like news stations are making their money on pitting people group A versus people group B. And that boils down to opinions on politics, religion, this, that, and the other thing, right? Um, <clears throat> why do you think we have such a difficult time with the other? That's a pretty big question, but, but why do you think we have difficult, difficulty with people who are different than us? It's, man, maybe it's so cliche, but, or maybe it's too predictable for this kind of podcast, but maybe because we don't practice hospitality, maybe because we don't extend ourselves out of our natural circles of influence and friendship. Okay. I, like, Man, how many times uh, I've heard it said that verandas back in the old days used oh, yeah. to be on the front of the house. Yeah. Well, now everyone has a back deck. Yeah. And a fence. Yeah. And what like we're so secluded from each other, and neighboring is so such a minute reality compared to what it used to be. I, I think that's. I think like home used to be something that you welcome someone into and now it's something that you go to escape. Hmm. And I think for that reason, we can pick and choose who we want and when and what influences we want. And I think we're just, we don't push ourselves, I think in Western culture. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we're moving towards echo chambers, aren't we? Like we're, we're, we're moving away from Diversity, ironically, as much as diversity is pushed in mainstream media right now, and as important as as uh, diversity is, I think you're absolutely right. Like, in, instead of having a front porch where the entire neighborhood would sit and yell across and kids would play with one another. Like in every movie that you watched growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, every movie in the 70s, 80s, and, yeah. and 90s were based around the, the front porch kind of experience. Now, yeah, the deck is in the back, and everybody has a living room set up not like, uh, I forget again where I heard this, but furniture used to be facing the fireplace, used to be facing the hearth, and now it's facing the TV. And we're, uh, and our communities are less physical and are more online, right? Mm-hmm. With social media and message boards and all that kind of thing. You just surround yourself with people who think and act and have the same kind of opinions as you do. And then suddenly we've lost the ability to have a, like a regular conversation with somebody who doesn't think exactly like we do and things get hostile and heated and 100%. it winds up on the evening news <laughs> again. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, would you agree, Danielle? Disagree? A hundred percent. And I think there's just a natural inclination to be afraid of that, which we don't know. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, 
exacerbated mm-hmm. by the the lives that we lead. Sure mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. But when did that, and maybe that's too much of a rabbit trail for this, I'd love to know what cultural things in history have really made that shift in our, like, in our lives over the last however long. Which shift? The shift to more shift personal like, space? Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure the internet was a real... If it was happening before, the internet was gasoline on that sure. fire. And and then, not just the internet, but social media became an even bigger factor, I guess is the word I'm, I'm looking mm-hmm. for in all of that. I think also two working parents changed oh, yeah. things dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of having one parent who was at home and just around... Now our lives are busier and we have less margin, like you talked about in your sermon, hmm. um, less time at the home. Huge and when difference. we are at the home, there's lots to be done or we're done. We're, right. we're right. ready to escape. Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. And so escapism becomes the, the de facto standard for a lot of people. Interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah. I uh, I imagine it is mostly church people that listen to this podcast and mostly people, ironically, who think and have very similar opinions to those in this room. Although, if you were to take not many steps outside of a church circle, you'd probably bump into the idea that church people are worse at this than than people outside the church, that, that church people uh, are worse at welcoming the different. The, I, I feel like our culture right now, uh, secular culture, is really priding themselves on how, inc- we've, I mean, the word inclusivity is everywhere, right? Yes. And there are probably a lot of people that would point a finger at the church and saying that we are less than inclusive, that we are, uh, you know, uh, unhelpful in our, in, in, you know, in secular culture thinks we are moving towards this wonderful utopia and the church is really holding us back from doing that in large part because of our inability to be inclusive. Uh, would you agree? Would you, do you, do you think the church is, uh, a little archaic that way, or are we, or are we playing apples and oranges here? Well, I grew up in the church, and I grew up. Um, I now homeschool my kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I feel this natural desire to protect mm-hmm. my kids, my family from the world, and that is my flesh. That is, um, but that's my natural inclination. And so I have to fight against that, trusting that my father is in control and knows what's best and loves these people who are other Mm -hmm. and wants to teach me and change me and change them and work through um, these relationships. But yes, as it is easy in the context of the church to think, um, I will be more safe. I will protect my little people Mm -hmm. from the darkness of the world Mm -hmm. if we remove ourselves from the other. So yes, I think naturally the church does a poor job at this because there's an element of protectionism, especially as the world becomes more post-Christian. Yes. And that's that's a good word because I think... And probably a very timely word. I think there are are still some people, maybe less in Canada, but certainly in the United States, that uh, 
are really thinking that we're still in a very Christian day and age, that, that, that Christian values and Christian belief systems are the pervasive ideas behind everything. And I think you're absolutely right, Danielle. At least here in Canada, definitely not the case. We are, we're, we're in what experts are calling a post-Christian culture for sure. And so I, I think there is a real sense from the outside of the church looking in that the church is behind the times, that the church is really old-fashioned or the church is really holding progression back because of some fear of the other. And I mean, we won't like name names of people groups or demographics or that kind of thing, but I think anybody that thinks critically about this idea for a couple of minutes could probably come up with a short list of people groups that the church has traditionally done a very poor job of well, to use our word for today, showing hospitality to. We have definitely lived on the fear side of the equation a lot more than the hospitality side. Mm. And so I guess the natural question, I, I think what goes on in a lot of Christians' minds, I think the protection issue is at hand, like protecting our kids uh, from the world, you know, be in the world, but not of it. Like we don't need to expose them to all this idea. Um, I also think there's this idea still alive in the church that says that if I show hospitality or kindness or compassion to a certain people group, I'm condoning lifestyle or I'm condoning what I believe to be sin in them. That's such a hard thing to think that people read about the life of Jesus and believe that. Right. Because because that's who Jesus ate with. He ate with the sinners and the tax collectors, and not that we aren't all sinners, but he ate with the marginalized. So if that's what Jesus walked and lived, how can we say that's that we can't do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think you're right. I think people say that if I love them, then I'm loving their sin. But I just think that Jesus's life is completely contradicts that. Uh, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Dave, your sermon was based on the story of Levi, the tax collector, who becomes Matthew because Jesus shows him hospitality, unwarranted, unmerited hospitality. And this guy has a complete, a complete transformation in his life, becomes a disciple of Jesus, I believe is martyred for, the, for his faith. Uh, and yet we kind of keep, we huddle in our circles, afraid to step out of the walls of the church for fear of you know, being seen. So where, so where's that pressure come from? Where's that fear come from? I think a large portion of that fear comes from, we can recognize outwardly why we might view other people as different, mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't know the real root and depth of why we as Christians are different. Sometimes we're okay. not fully bought into who we are or don't fully understand what we believe and aren't fully convicted and, and rooted in that, so that when we do come across someone who says, well, oh, you believe this, I believe that. Well, why do, we're faced with that question all of a sudden of why do I believe differently? Or why do I, why do I feel convicted and called to live differently? So oh, there have been instances in my life where I think sometimes I have bowed out of or not approached conversations because I wasn't sure how I could answer properly for my faith and my worldview as oh, opposed to someone else's. So out of not wanting to be trapped, out of not wanting to, um, like... Not wanting to confront yourself. Yes. Oh, interesting. Very much so. I, I think that's... So all these things that perhaps in church we've been told, this is right, this is wrong. Well, why? Uh, like when you're confronted with that in the real world, 
I think a lot of people, myself intruded, just feel, my, my, myself included, just feel kind of trapped and, and ill-equipped. So I think, mm. I think part of why Jesus was so comfortable is because he fully knew who he was. Oh, interesting. And he fully yeah. knew, like, he could, he could see everything about the world around him properly because of his relationship with his father and being rooted in who he was and I think we miss that often. And I think if we had that on a deeper level, we'd be more prepared to welcome the other. Ooh. And less afraid. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It all comes down to fear, every bit of it. Dave coming in hot with pointing the finger back at ourselves and not, uh, that's, that's really good, Dave. Yeah, interesting. Now, Danielle, you've been leafing through a page. Uh, I feel like you've got a quote coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Butterfield's book, uh, she's talking about Jesus eating with sinners and when the um, woman comes and washes his his feet and she talks about how Jesus welcomes these people so that it's also a point that you had um, when we welcome these people we give them God an opening to work in their hearts it's not our responsibility to work in their hearts Mm. but she says the gospel says to fellow image bearers you are welcome here come as you are take my hand I'm not leading I'm following Jesus is leading. Yes, yes. And that, um, I think, also takes the pressure off mm-hmm. that your life is messy and my life is also messy, even though it looks different. Um, and I don't have it, the answers to your questions necessarily. I might not be able to defend exactly all the tenets of my faith, mm-hmm. but I'm following Jesus and you can come follow with me. Yeah, yeah. And there's a certain confidence there that, like, he can stand on his own, right? Like, I, I don't have to prop him up. I don't have to, like, any time spent with Jesus and he's going to, like, he's, he's God. He's, he's got this covered through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, God's going to do what God's going to do. I'm not responsible for the outcome of that. I'm just responsible for the faithfulness to do what I've been asked to do. Oh, that's interesting. I like, I like that. I'm going to have to add that book to the, to yeah, the short list. It's quite intriguing. Um, uh, we're quickly running out of time. And so I want to really quickly grab here because I thought this was so profound. Uh, I wouldn't have said that what hospitality needs to resist is fear. Like I wouldn't have put hospitality in fear. It makes perfect sense. But like when I think about hospitality, I I maybe would have put like isolation or something on the other side, uh, which would have been a timely word for for now as well. But fear kind of caught me off guard. Hospitality has to resist fear. Uh, But then when you went into the Greek like the Greek breakdown of, uh, of uh, xenophobia and hospitality. I also wouldn't have connected hospitality and xenophobia as like Never. opposite words. Uh, you said xenophobia, which is a word that's been floating around the media a lot the last 20 years, I'll even say, okay. is fear of the foreigner, whereas hospitality is friend of the foreigner. That blew my mind a little bit. And I think you brought the, <clears throat> excuse me, you, uh, you probably could have spent an entire sermon right in yeah. that one little breakdown, fear of foreigner, friend of foreigner. And we see Jesus model this idea of being friend of the foreigner, friend of the other, friend of the alien over and over and over again. Some of the most powerful parables that Jesus teaches involve uh, the other like the, like the the radical other even right like yes. the, we I think sometimes we don't get culturally how radical Jesus how much he was rocking the boat for these Pharisees and these good uh, Jewish people who were trying their best to follow the rules so 
if the whole idea behind all of this is being friend to the foreigner, right? If that's what God is calling us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ uh, dwelling in us, uh, I want to end this episode with just some practical advice. We've been talking at like a 30,000 foot level and the uh, ideals and, and, and all that kind of thing of, of showing hospitality. But uh, for somebody who is feeling like you guys were feeling a year ago, January, is like, all right, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to start showing some hospitality to, to people. I believe that God is bigger than my fear and that he can do something in me. Where do we start? Like as, as believers who are wanting to say like, okay, I'll do this. Where do we start? Give me something practical. Um, I just finished a great book by Adam McHugh called The Listening Life. <laughs> and he talks about listening as a form of hospitality. Interesting. Go on. Um, I didn't review or bring that book with me. so <laughs> <laughs> It's not part of the stack on the table right now? Okay. But I have read it pretty recently. And he talks about how it's welcoming them into our lives and taking the time to and to just listen hmm. without um, anticipating what they're going to say or preparing our response, just receiving them as they are, recognizing them as an image bearer, as someone else who's made in God's image. And I think that is one way in COVID times, mm -hmm. we yeah. can practice hospitality. You can do that. Um, you don't even have to be with someone. You can be on the phone. Certainly. Um, but you can be in your coffee shop or at the park. And those places are also great places to meet strangers at the park with kids. Mm -hmm. um, and just, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's one really practical, th taking the time, slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, listening. Listening. That's really good. Without the agenda, agenda of responding or correcting right, or right. poking holes in the, just listening. It, just listening doesn't condone anything. It does like just, man, I, I think you're right, Danielle. We would do well as a people to listen more, be slow to speak. Anything from you, Dave? Not too far off of that point. I think we just, in our culture, have done such a good job of filling up all 168 hours a week. And I think if we're going to be truly hospitable, not viewing it in a light of, well, what needs to leave my life? But I, it, there just have to be choices made time-wise. And honestly, cutting back on my media time opens, opens my availability to, at the very least, talk on the phone or to pop next door and stand at a neighbor's entryway and just see how they're doing for five minutes. Like, I think we all have ways that we can create that little extra margin. And I think it's one of the biggest, I think it's one of the biggest steps that we have to take if we're actually going to be able to, um, to, to offer hospitality for people. And sometimes like we, sh we could take advantage of things that we're already doing anyway. I, yeah. I'm already Eating. I'm already eating. <laughs> oh, exactly. And if you can't have someone in your home, we already go for coffee. Or we already go to do a hobby. We already, we're already watching our kids at swimming lessons. So go sit beside someone else who's watching their kid have swimming lessons. Like, there are opportunities to engage with people in everyday life. And we, we just have to take them. For anybody listening in Yarmouth area, man... 
this is such a chatty community. Like you don't have to be oh somewhere goodness, in public yes. very long before somebody's leaning over and giving their two cents on what's <laughs> happening in front of you. I mean, and for us to just kind of lean in and embrace that and talk back, like I am, I am, I'll admit on this podcast that I am prone to be kind of like reserved and and huddled in on myself when I'm in public, wear ball cap down far over my head and, and kind of go incognito. But to learn to just lean into those conversations and laugh and and enjoy the presence of, of yeah. somebody else, I think is really good. I cut you off, Danielle. You were no, that's okay. Something. I lost my train of thought. Oh, no. <laughs> no, oh, that's, no, the worst. no. that's the cardinal sin of <laughs> podcasting. But what you're talking about there, that just makes the world around us better. Yeah. It just does. Mm-hmm. We're, we weren't created to have headphones. Mm-hmm. Even though we're all wearing them right now, like we were, we were created to engage with each other, mm-hmm. and sometimes big ways, small ways, it it, it adds up. Awesome. Uh, anybody have anything that is just burning a hole in their heart that they have to say that they didn't get a chance to say before we wrap things up today? Um, I just want to emphasize. You made the point that hospitality reveals the true identity, that the other is made in God's image. And I think um, you also said that we need to begin with prayer. So that's the other practical, really practical. Sometimes we don't like it because it seems like the cliche response. But we need to have our minds transformed Mm -hmm. and renewed that these are other image bearers. And that, that God would change the way we see people perspective shift in how yeah no that's that's very good that's very practical that's something everybody can start like in this moment as the yeah. as the ending music starts to roll uh everybody can say a prayer to the to god to help change how we see those around us uh thank you a ton to both danielle and dave for joining us on the podcast today uh our hope and prayer is that this conversation sparked something for you to consider and gnaw on and pray about uh The Lord made us to be hospitable, not afraid. And so a challenge this week is to step out in in faith, who God is and what he's called you to do, and take that risk and uh, offer some hospitality to those around you. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you have a fantastic day. See you later.